Good morning. For the underserved, for the poor, for the orphan, 
fatherless, things like adoption agencies and, and the like, human needs and development all across the globe. Christians and congregations are involved in doing those things today. In the past few years, a major missions refocus has been on just planting churches. That is, going and sharing the gospel, inviting people to be saved, and as people are saved, Jesus says to go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all that I have commanded. And so they form local churches, indigenous churches, out in the tribes of Africa, in the urban slums of India, and things like that. The church is engaged in every nook and cranny of the globe. And what's amazing is that started 2,000 years ago with a teacher named Jesus who came from heaven. Who radically transformed the lives of a couple hundred people. Before he left, he gave them some instructions. And we're going to see some of that today in Acts chapter 1. But I want to say to you that many local Christian congregations have slipped out of gear. Have slipped into neutral. Maybe have even gone into reverse. Many local congregations and Christians have stalled out and many have died out. Because they've lost sight of the vision of a transformational church, of what Jesus can do in a life. I love in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, it's in Thessalonica. The Christians are causing a stir. You know, that's what's amazing about the book of Acts is everywhere the Christians went, it stirred people up. Some for good, some for bad. Acts 17 verse 6, they're in Thessalonica, and some of the people aren't happy. You know, when you're preaching about Jesus and you're preaching the truth of the Bible, some people will not be happy, but some people will get happy because of it. But anyway, some of the people, they grab some of the Christians and they drag them before the authorities. And I love what it says. It says, they say to those authorities, these are some of those people who have turned the world upside down. That's King James Version. These are some of those who have turned the world upside down. Isn't that great? Man, I, I want to be a part of that. Now, not getting dragged before the authorities, but of being part of a church and of a movement of God that people would say, these are some of those that are literally transforming the world. Mm. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? That's God's intent, I believe, for the church. So today, Acts chapter 1 Verses 1 through 14. Let's read all of that together as we read and consider how the first Christians were transformed into this movement that turned the world upside down. It says in Acts chapter 1 at the beginning, the first account I compose that is the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these... He also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. With all, uh, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Ten years ago, John R. W. Stott, who is now deceased, he wrote an article for Christianity Today called Four Ways Christians Can Influence the World. And in it, he posits four power sources that have been and are, are still available to the church here they are. These are worthy of our exploration, but we can't do it today. The stop says this. There are four power sources that help us to influence the world as Christians. Number one is prayer. That is, he says, we have access to God. God hears our prayers, and he acts because of prayer. We have the truth. I think primarily that is the word of God. There are all kinds of deceptions and alternative ways of living and thinking and all of that in the world. But we have the truth of God in the Bible. We have a living example that is by the life of Christians that have been transformed personally. People see that we are like a living word, a testimony. And then he says we have group solidarity. That is a unity, a power that of doing things together as all of God's manifold gifts come together in a church. There is a power in that. And so he says prayer, truth, living example, and group solidarity. Those are the four power sources for the church. I love John R. W. Stop. One of the best ever, but he missed it. All of those things are true, but I would argue that what Stott gives us is an Acts 1 church, not an Acts 2 type of church. He missed the big one. The big thing that we see in this passage Number one, the church's essential resource is the Holy Spirit of God. The church's essential resource, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now this is so important that Jesus says, I want you to go and wait. He tells the early Christians, these that have gathered and want, about to watch him ascend into heaven, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I just want you to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. This promised Holy Spirit. And I thought about that in our context. Being an Acts 1 type of church. Can you imagine inviting someone to the upper room church? An Acts 1 church where really the only thing you're supposed to be doing is waiting. Think about developing a website for an Acts 1 church. It's, it's a blank page. What do you, what do you put there? Here you are, you say, hey, y'all come to the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. I want to invite you to come to our church. Oh, that sounds interesting. I didn't know there was such a thing. Tell me about it. 
Well, tell me about your facilities. Tell me about where you meet. Well, where we meet is, it's, it's this place that's got this really rustic, retro kind of vibe, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, it's got a really cool name. It's called The Upper Room. You know, because churches like to brand and have something clever. We've got this upper room that we meet. It's, it's really, it's a little bit urban, you know. It's got that downtown kind of feel. People are, are, are putting churches today in the downtown. And so come to the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Well, what kind of ministries? You know, people want to, they, they want to shop a little bit as you invite them to church. Tell me about the ministries of, of this Acts 1 First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. What, what ministries do you have to offer to us? Well, we got this ministry that we call the Ministry of Waiting. Never heard of that. No other church is doing that. What is that? Well, we're, we just wait. We, we, we just wait. Now, I want you to think about it. Being told by Jesus to start this church right here. We're waiting. But we have a vision. We have a vision statement of the future. You know, it's kind of like this John the Baptist 2.0 kind of deal going on. John the Baptist on steroids. There's this, this baptism thing. You've heard of baptism, but it, this is a baptism of the Spirit. That's our vision. That's what our founder of Jesus has told us is going to happen. And nobody's coming to church when they invite them. They're getting no hits on their website for this kind of church because all they're doing is waiting. That's what Jesus told them to do. So important is the baptism, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit that they could do nothing. They were told to do nothing. You know, Jesus said the same type of thing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit over and over again, but they've not yet experienced it. Oh, sure, the Spirit was empowering Jesus, but the Spirit had not come on and infused and filled the lives of these early Christians yet. But it is an absolute necessity that precedes everything else. He says, don't do anything until the Spirit has come. Now, I need to say to you, there's no wait, need for us to wait today in the same way. This is a time and a point in redemptive history and in the life of the church. We see it in Acts 2, it's called Pentecost, where the Spirit does come in great power not to be repeated in the same way after this, but, but what I want to say to you today is we need to see the absolute necessity of a church filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't even know if y'all are awake. The need of the Holy Spirit. A very disturbing article I read recently, uh, and I can't remember the percentage, but there was a huge number of self-professed Christians who were asked about their beliefs and, and this huge number of them said they don't actually believe there is a Holy Spirit. They don't actually believe that the Holy Spirit exists. That's just kind of God talk. Self-professed Christians. I'm telling you, there are people out there and you may be one of them or maybe you're like some of the uh, disciples that Paul encountered along the way and he says, you know, tell me about the Holy Spirit. We, who? We've not even heard about the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, you can go a long time in a Baptist church and not even hear of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, that is God's presence with us, is so important that really you can't do anything else without Him. And, and, and here you go. I want to say to you that I'm convinced that the church, this church, and we need to return 
and refocus on the essential ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need to return to a dependence upon God's Spirit, God's direction. We need a fresh wind and a fresh fire from the Holy Spirit. Now, there's some language about how we interact with the Holy Spirit in the Bible that, that gives people a little time to nod. You know, and there's theological debates. In fact, John R. R. W. Stott has a great little pamphlet book on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In a nutshell, here's what I think the Bible teaches in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. is that now, after Acts chapter 2, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit. His presence is there. But then the Bible teaches that there are many fillings. The Bible teaches, in other words, that it's possible that we so fill our lives and our minds and our thoughts with fleshly things, earthly things, sometimes even sinful things, that, you know, there's only so much room in this vessel in our minds, and we can basically suppress the work of the Holy Spirit to the point of we're not full of the Spirit. And the Bible says, go on, keep on being filled with the Spirit. So, in other words, one baptism of the Spirit, when you come to Christ, Paul teaches that, he says, it, you have the Spirit if you belong to Christ, but we must keep on Go on being filled with the Spirit of God. I think that's what the Bible teaches. I think it is somewhat clear. I would say that. We need the Holy Spirit. We need His life, His guidance, and His presence. And yes, even in the 21st century church, where we have so many tools and resources, and, and all these things available to us, the most essential resource is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is what differentiates a church from any other civic club. The guidance and the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit is what will cause us to be a transformed and transformative church. We need the Holy Spirit. The church must have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I know that makes a lot of Baptists squirm. Some of y'all are squirming. But let's just drop the denominational labels and quit worrying about what we're going to be called and say to be a Christian, a true functioning Christian in Christian church. To know God as our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord and have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To meet the Holy Spirit. So we see that here. And so Jesus says, wait! Wait for that. It's coming. Not many days. Not many days. Don't you hate to wait? They hate to wait, I think. Because here in verse 6, we see the church's impatient and maybe ignorant response to Jesus' command to wait. It's either impatience or ignorance or a little bit of both. I'm not exactly sure. You know, so, so Jesus says, wait. And, and I can just see Peter swinging out in front of him. What? Wait! Man, I'm amped up. We're wrapped up. We're ready to rock and roll, Jesus. We're ready to, to do this ministry that you have told us we're going to get to do. And he says, wait. Well, what does the church do when they can't do missions and ministry? Well, you have a prophecy conference. Right? You, you chart out the end times. That's what they want to do here. It appears. They go, they go well, well, well uh, aren't you going to restore to the kingdom of Israel now? Aren't you going to do that? I'm not sure exactly what's behind this question. Maybe I'm trying to read the tone of it. I'm trying to hear what are they really saying to Jesus 
in the form of a question. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's Peter going, Lord, what are we waiting for? Now's the time. Man, I mean, I mean, we're primed and ready. You're here. We're here. This thing is, is blowing up. People have heard about us. We're blowing going. We've got some momentum. Aren't you going to do something now? What are we waiting for? Let's get busy. How often do we as Christians and as a church just prefer to do a bunch of stuff, regardless of the fact of whether this is the direction God is leading us in? Did you know that sometimes that God just wants us to wait? Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. God is always at work. And I think what we do is we try to run ahead of Him. Sometimes. And they just told him, wait. Wait. And Peter wants to get busy. Some of the disciples, they want to get busy. Let's get this kingdom party started. Let's, let's take power. Let's, let's take out the Romans. Let's do this thing. Isn't now the time? And I think that even embedded in this question, aren't you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They have missed the point. That's where I say it's an ignorant question. They have ignored over and over that Jesus has clearly showed them that He did not just come to restore the kingdom of Israel. He didn't just come for the Jews, but for the Gentile, for the Samaritan. He came to seek and to save all who were lost. And they're interested in the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus, it says, even in this passage we read, when He showed Himself to the disciples after the resurrection, it says He was teaching them some things. And it wasn't about the kingdom of Israel. It was about the kingdom of God. He's trying to show them over and over that He's doing something much bigger than local politics. He is ushering in an eternal kingdom. It's here. And He wants to spread the kingdom of God, spread the globe, and spread eternity. It's a much bigger vision than anything that they have latched onto. But he's helping them to see that. The kingdom of God is what he's about. The kingdom of God has no geographical boundaries. No spatial boundaries. It is to go everywhere. We're to pray that. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God now. And so they're impatient or they're ignorant. They've missed it. But Jesus helps them. This brings us to the last point. In verse 8, we see the church's expansive missional reach. The church's expansive missional reach. It's, it's far beyond their locality, though it includes their locality. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered for the task, the mission that I've given you. What is the mission? It's the first song that we sang. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Who's changed my life. And he can change your life. Really? That's it. Jesus says when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It won't be so that you can sit around and argue about speaking in tongues. It's going to be to be my witnesses. And tell people about me. Everywhere. Everywhere. This abiding presence of God will enable and empower you to go. And to tell. And to witness. And it starts at home. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You know what? He's talking about that place and that time. But I think by principle we can say Jesus wants to be known in Valley Springs and in Boone County. And he is, has a people. And he has 
local congregations in this area that are to be out telling people about what Jesus has done for us and what he can do for them. Jerusalem starts at home. I'll tell you, sometimes the toughest place to be a missionary and a witness is at home, isn't it? It can be in our own home, under our roof, in the places that we routinely work, live, and play. But we must not overlook the local mission, the Jerusalem. Valley Springs is a wonderful place with a lot of wonderful people. This area of the Ozarks is God's country, isn't it? It's a beautiful country, but there's a spiritual battle. As John said this morning, there are lost people in Valley Springs. There are people who are living out the ethic and the morality and the kingdom of this world. They're in darkness and they need to come to the kingdom of life. They need to hear about Jesus right here where we live. A little further out, he says, into Judea. So that's kind of a regional thing. We, we can think about the Boone uh, County, but we can think about Marion and Cersei and Newton County. We know those counties need Jesus, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know y'all are looking at me like Cersei County. Oh my gosh. And, and it's a, a little further out. You know where there's people that are they're kind of like us, but they're not us. Jesus in Judea. Samaria is getting a little further from home. Now we're getting out of our comfort zone. These aren't really people like us. And you know the Samaritans. Mm. I mean, they were they were pagans to the Jews. They were they were mixed, free, not not pure Jews, and there was a lot of different uh, religious thought and all of those things. And and there were some embedded hostilities there. It seemed like, man, there's some cultural boundaries there. How are we going to go and tell them about Jesus? Because they, they hate the Jews. How are we going to tell them? He says, you've you got to tell them. We've got to go to people who don't share the same worldview, the same culture. How are we going to do that? You're going to have to cross culture and be missionaries. You're going to have to figure out. You're going to have to quit being a part of those hostilities like Jesus was. And he went to that Samaritan woman who had, I mean, they it couldn't be more polar opposites. And in a conversation, she comes to love Jesus. So, in Samaria, and then even to the remotest parts of the earth. Places that I think the disciples are like, where is that? Some, some commentators say that really what they probably thought there was the ends, the outer reaches of the Roman Empire, where there were civilized people. But throughout history, the church has understood this idea of going to the uttermost. Going to every unreached people group, every tribe, tongue, and nation, every little dusty village, anywhere where the name of Jesus has not been named, far away places that you could not even imagine from here. And that's exactly what we see fleshed out in the book of Acts. By the time you get to the end, just in a generation, You've got a church that has been faithful to this because they were powered by the Holy Spirit. And they went. They got up when God called them. And they went. So let me just move now to some application for our church. I think number one, from this passage, encourages us, and I think now is the time, that we need an intentional refocus on the Lord. 
an intentional refocus on the Lord. He said, go and wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And again, we're an Acts 2 church. The Holy Spirit has already come. But there are times when we need to refocus and say, is it indeed the Lord God of heaven, the Holy Spirit of God who is guiding what we're doing? Or are we just doing what we want to be doing? Are we just doing what we've always been doing? Are we doing what's easy and what's comfortable? We need to refocus on God Himself and God's direction for our church. I want to show you something. This, this idea is not just Acts chapter 1. Even after Pentecost, we see throughout the New Testament this idea that the Holy Spirit of God spoke to the Christians and to the churches. For instance, I would you just jot this reference down and look at it later, Acts 13, 2. Here is this Antioch moment. Paul and Barnabas, and they had this blow and he go in church in Antioch. And, and I love what it says. It says they were fasting and ministering to the Lord. I, I need to just do a sermon on the idea of us ministering to the Lord when we come together instead of the other way around. But it says they were, they were focused. You know what that means? They were focused, submitted upon the Lord there in Antioch. And Acts 13, 2 says... The Holy Spirit said to that church, not a single person, but to the church, set aside for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit said to the church, when they were gathered together in worship and ministry, ministering to the Lord, fasting, seeking God. That's what that is. It's seeking God and His Spirit's movement. He said to that congregation. I don't know how he said it. I don't know how they discern what he said, but it says the Holy Spirit said to them. Hmm. You can read letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. Here is what the Spirit says to the church at that place. Here is what the Spirit says to the church at this place. And I can't remember which church it was, but I was thinking today about that church. He said, I know all your works. Man, you're doing all kinds of good deeds, but you've left your first love. I think what that means is they have lost their focus on God and on His guidance and direction. I wonder what the Spirit of God, who has now come, who is available to us, who wants to guide our church, I wonder what the Spirit of God says to the First Baptist Church of Valley Springs. Now, I'm confident that the, the Word the Lord speaks through His Word. But I am also, because the Bible says this, and because I've experienced it at times, I know God Almighty through His Spirit wants to do things here and wants to speak to us and wants us to respond right here in our church. Man, someone asked me, well, what's the vision of your church? What, what, what are we all about? And I'll tell you, I can conjure up a lot of things in my flesh that we can do. And as I thought about that, I thought we do need a refocusing, I think, and re-envisioning what the mission is. I don't think I need to dream it up. I think God knows what He wants to do. And my job is to lead us to listen to Him and to refocus on Him. I truly believe that is where we're at in this day. To refocus on the Lord his will and his presence and his calling for us. How many of y'all have seen the new church sign now on 65 that we've got? And I think it's beautiful. 
it's, it's really it's really uh, a good deal. We we spent a lot of time and resources, and and, and finally got to that point. So exciting when that sign went up, and uh, you, you know it's got this beautiful uh, picture down there on the on the LED screen of the cross. It's really colorful, really uh, bright, and you, and you notice it. Has anybody noticed that it hadn't changed? <laughs> Oh, y'all did notice that. I can't believe that. Well, you know what the problem is? The problem is John Rasick has been... No, he's not. The problem is John Rasick has been trying to communicate to that sign with his devices, with the tablet that was supposed to communicate to the sign, but the sign is not listening. There's a, there's a disconnect. And John's been on the phone with uh, a guy in searching... A guy that's tech support, and, and I see John out, and he looks like some kind of alien. You know, he's got a tablet in one hand and an antenna in the other. So here, can I help you? He says, yeah, hold the antenna. So, I mean, you know, I wonder what people driving by that we're doing here. John's up the deal, and I'm walking out here with an antenna. Did anybody see that? Just ignore that. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to communicate with a sign that we purchased for a pretty large sum of money. A sign that's supposed to work for us and communicate messages for us that we program into it. But the problem is the sign's not cooperating. There is a disconnect now. We're confident that we're going to get that fixed. They sent a little chip, or they're supposed to be sending a chip that's supposed to reestablish communication. I just thought, man, is that a, I wonder if that's a, a parable of where the church is today. Now, not just our church. But a church that Jesus bought with his blood and intends to use as a device to communicate his message. And the church is just out there kind of doing the same old thing. Oh, sure, we're talking about the cross. But what specifically would the Lord say to his church to be about? And I think that we just need an intentional refocus on the Lord. And I don't, and I'm, to be honest, I don't even know what that looks like exactly. But I think it starts right here, us just acknowledging that there might be a communication problem or a communication opportunity to reestablish connection with the Lord God Almighty in 2000 and what year is this? 21 and for 22. Lord, what would you have us to do in this day? Because I want to tell you, the world is changing. People are changing. There are moments that we need to capture in this day. Doing the same old thing that we've always been doing in some ways. Now listen, I'm not coming for a moratorium on that disactivity or a, a, a cease action on that. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't have any targets. I'm just going, I think that we need to hear from the Lord. That's what I think. Reestablish communication. Let's get that communication fixed. It comes from Him to us. Alright? So an intentional refocus on the Lord and on the, what the Spirit is saying to our church. And then number two, an intentional refocus on the whole mission. An intentional refocus on the whole mission, which is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the Evermost. I love it. You know, when I first came here, we were doing some budgeting stuff, and our budget is actually broken down in those sections. It's trying to be a holistic Acts 1A missional church and saying, you know, even as we think about how we're allocating resources and staff and our energy, we want to be cognizant of the fact that Jesus said, I want you to be our, my witnesses in all of these places. And so our budget is even broken down that way. But, again, I would just say, what does that to look like in this day and the days ahead? So, 
we didn't have all kinds of committee meetings and uh, getting ready for 2022. New budgeting, new focus, what else do we need? Where are we maybe missing? How are we doing in Jerusalem? How are we doing in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost? And so we're just in a, a moment where I would say, would you help me? Would you join me in trying to refocus on the Lord and praying and asking God, would you, would you speak, even through just normal church gatherings, God, would you speak, would you, wouldn't it be amazing if God showed up at a committee meeting? I mean, it's amazing when people even show up to a committee meeting, but, but, but then you go, and we always pray, you know, we pray at some point in the committee meeting, but what if God showed up in a small gathering of a committee of First Baptist Church Valley Springs as if we were serious about, not, Lord, would you rubber stamp, bless our thought process here. Would you bless our activity? But instead, as we say, God, would you guide us in this? What if God showed up and, and showed us some profound changes and shifts, an area where he is already at work and wants to invite us into his work? And so, that's re revisiting the mission, the task, the fourfold mission that encompasses all of the globe and how God would use us in that. So we're resurrecting. We've had a missions committee on paper. And I know this has been a missional church. I know that. And still is. But I do think there are some areas. Maybe we're not reaching as far. Maybe we were, we're a little lopsided in one area over another. And so we've got our missions committee. And we're going to be meeting. And we're going to be praying about how God guide us. God, where would you guide us to establish partnerships and works and mobilize our people? Not because we want to do some extra stuff, but because you're inviting us into your mission. Next month, John mentioned, y'all probably hadn't heard of anything about it as he announced it. It's in your bulletin. We're doing a missions workshop, and that language is intentional. It's a workshop. It's not a lecture. It's not a sermon. But we're going to be gathering up in the Family Life Center. We're going to be at tables. It's going to be interactive. I've asked it. I've asked it. I've asked Dr. Rusty Osborne, who's a friend of mine who teaches in the Bible study, Biblical Studies Department at the College of the Ozarks. He's been a missionary in Cameroon. He's been a church planner and a pastor. He teaches their missions course, courses. And I asked him, would you come and just help us to, to, to rethink and, and re-see what the Bible teaches us about the task of missions. But then we're going to engage in doing some things. And first of all, I'm going to ask you to engage with me in praying about this. We've got three Sunday nights in October that are going to be part of our discipleship training. On Sunday nights, that's going to be our discipleship training for October. As we try to be strategic about rethinking, refocusing, re-examining the Christian mission. And then personally, here's another thing. What is God calling you? What, what part in the kingdom? What position on the team? What place might He want to send you? Are you open? Uh, just Let me ask you this question. Are you open to God redirecting your path and sending you somewhere you've never even thought about going? Are you open? Maybe it's not even a geographical change. Maybe it's just a change of focus. Maybe it's a new area to serve. Are you open to that? Man, think about this. God's saying, 
try to establish communication. I've got something for this person and this person. But they're not tuned in. They're not even listening to me. They're so busy with life. So busy with church stuff, even. But they're not hearing what I'm saying. What happened to Antioch moments? I'm asking. When is the last time that in First Baptist Church in Valley Springs, you, you saw or heard from someone who said, God is calling me there. God is calling me to this new thing. When, when is the last time that's happened? I just want you to think about that. Hey, I know it's happened here, by the way. But when is the last time? When is the last time that you could actually say, I think the Holy Spirit of God said to me? When is the last time? Has God quit speaking today? There are many people that believe He has. It's, it's all right here, some people will say. Read the book. <laughs> God is alive today, and He speaks today. So really, that's my invitation. Would you pray with me? If you're on a committee, on a ministry team, if you're alive and you're a Christian and you're here in this church today, would you join me in refocusing on the Lord? Reestablishing communication with Him. And reexamining His call in your life. Would you bow with me? I do want to have just a, a time and a space for the Lord to, to move, to speak. To speak into hearts. Would you pray something like this, Lord? What do you have for me? Lord, what would you say? What are you saying to our church today? I think that Acts shows us that Antioch moment where right in the gathering of a congregation, God spoke in the hearts. Again, don't know what it sounds like or looked like, but I know the result was that, that church said, man, we want to send off and ordain and support Barnabas and Paul the work that he has called. I would ask this question. Is there anyone here today who in your heart you know God is calling you into some sort of ministry? Maybe he's calling you to a mission field. Maybe he's calling you to start a new work of some kind. And you have been fighting him or tuning him out. Would you let this local church be a part of what God is calling you to by just maybe coming forward today? If, if you're here today, God is calling you into some sort of ministry or work. I would just invite you to come and share that. Come forward this time. Stand up right where you're at. Is there anybody? Lord, we don't want to rush and push. 
we actually believe that you are alive and are in us. You move among us. And you speak to us. I don't know that. So would you do that? Would you work by your spirit that you promised that you sent and poured out? But fill us up afresh and anew. Make us to be that kind of Acts church where we are truly of one accord. United in purpose. United in love. United in Christ. God, as we seek to charge the gates of hell, as we seek to go about doing kingdom of God work, I pray that you would open wide the door. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Help us to pursue what you've given us to do as a church and as individuals. We pray this in Christ's name.